Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Many are responding to an invitation from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to participate in a new effort to help refugees. The church has launched a new website, iwasastranger.lds.org. And Utah Refugee Center Executive Director Deb Coffey told the Deseret News her phone's been ringing off the hook. She says, I've got people all over the state doing service projects. My phone is blowing up. My email's blowing up. It's unbelievable what's happening. We talked about refugees and Utah in December. That's when Governor Herbert was the lone Republican governor to say his state would accept Syrian refugees. And we're going to revisit the issue today in the wake of this groundswell of energy on the issue. And our guests include Natalie Gochner, Associate Dean in the David Eccles School of Business, University of Utah, and Chief Economist for the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce. And Natalie Gochner, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Andrea Radke-Moss is Professor of History at Brigham Young University, Idaho, and joins us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, so let me start with you, uh, Natalie Gochner. This, uh, it, it, we've been feeling a lot of energy on this issue uh, in the wake of this announcement, uh, I guess, what, two weekends ago during LDS General Conference. Um, I wonder what your initial thoughts were on this I Was a Stranger uh, initiative. Well, I, I was very thrilled to see uh, a very unified effort on behalf of the LDS Church to you know, ask its members to engage in what was phrased as a personal ministry and to um, take it upon ourselves to consider ways that we could help some very vulnerable populations. So I, I very much welcome the news, and, and that's why I penned a, an opinion editorial on the topic. And uh, I, I guess it's, some people could see this as, uh, you know, a political issue, uh, not least but, but, uh, because uh, it has been politicized in the in the uh, campaign, um, some people might see this not as a conservative issue. But uh, this initiative was featured, I guess, in the uh, in the Wall Street Journal. Peggy Noonan, bent piece. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's one of many times when the state of Utah uh, uh, does something, uh, whether it's coming from the headquarters of the LDS Church or from some of our elected leaders in, in the state of Utah, where we go out and do something that uh, it comes from what I'll call the productive middle. It comes from a place of, of taking the best ideas, wherever they, whatever ideology they come from, and, and giving them voice. That certainly happened with you know, a non-discrimination legislation. It happened with the Utah Compact in regards to uh, immigration. And it's it appears to happen again with the refugee crisis crisis the world faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, just parenthetically, um, it, it seems like lately the productive middle has been taking a beating. I don't know if you, that's your view. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's there's a lot of things happening right now that are very interesting. I'll give you that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, an understatement. Uh, let me turn to. Andrea Radke Moss, a professor of history at Brigham Young University, uh, Idaho. What was your uh, What were your thoughts uh, on this announcement of this initiative? Well, it was incredibly welcome, as as she indicated. I think a lot of uh, Christians, Mormons in particular, lately are feeling this urge to take their kind of compassionate impulses and do something globally, something that would address global humanitarian, and not that the church hasn't been involved in these things before, but this is such a particularly pointed and focused topic that I think it, it it's kind of emboldened people. Um, that's what I felt, and some of my colleagues um, up here in Idaho um, last fall when we were beginning to feel like something really needs to be done about this. So I was incredibly, um, I felt incredibly positive to see that the church was was grabbing onto this. Is this is something that we can really focus our energies on? Emboldened people. Is it, I guess people felt like something needed to be done, but didn't know quite what to do. Yeah, I think that um, many people were fe- feeling frustrated, as as was mentioned about the political rhetoric, and so many governors were saying, "No, we don't want refugees. No, we don't want refugees." And you just had this kind of domino within the course of a couple of weeks of, of a whole bunch of governors saying, we're not going to take take refugees. And I think that that felt frustrating to myself and to um, many other people that I was talking to, that what is this, what's going on here? We can do better than this. We can, and you saw other nations that were saying, yes, bring them in. I mean, yes, other nations have struggled with it, but 
they haven't said this kind of overtly, no, we're not going to take them. And so I think that's what the emboldening came from, is that there was a sense of, wait, why are, why are Americans saying, no, they don't want to help people? We can do better than that. Natalie Gochner, in your piece in the Deseret News, uh, you, you tied it to not only faith, but culture, uh, that you feel we have a welcoming culture. Yeah, I, I believe that's true. So I'm a I'm a native Salt Laker, and you know, so my perspective comes from someone who's born and raised here. But uh, it's been my observation over time that that Utah's very outward facing, and I say that uh, in part because of the you know very significant LDS Church, uh, you know, global faith, um, you know, LDS missionary movement. Uh, so really referencing the the fact that people in our state have lived in other cultures, speak different languages, and from that have uh, a value system that, that, that looks to the world, that understands the world, and that has a love for people all around the world. And I think after decades and decades and decades of that, it, it's built in us a, a very uh, globally engaged culture. And the sort of, you know, highlight of that was the 2002 Olympic Winter Games when we welcomed the world. And, of course, it was a grand success. And so I think there's a lot of evidence of the the way that this community uh, broadly in Utah uh, is is welcoming to people. You made reference in your piece to uh, a Pat Bagley um, cartoon, uh, you know, political cartoon sketch. Uh, which illustrates that uh, th- this point that uh, Governor Herbert was one of the only one of 27 uh, Republican governors uh, to say we'll accept Syrian refugees. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering, Andrea, did you ever see that cartoon? I'm, I didn't. I'm looking it up right now as we're Yeah, talking. go ahead and look it up. I'll kind of describe it. But it was such an interesting thing because Governor Herbert, at the time that that cartoon, uh, you know, was printed, he and he still is, but he was head of the National Governors Association. So he's he's a, a dean of governors, if you will. And at, at a time when it was important that somebody speak out, he spoke out while his uh, colleagues in the Republican Party walked away, and the the cartoon shows the the young Turkish three year old boy with his head down yep. in the water. Uh, he has a I think a red shirt and blue shorts on, and it shows the footsteps of all the other governors walking away. And then there's Governor Herbert turned to the boy, and uh, you know mm-hmm. obviously uh, showing concern and and you know a, a willingness to help. And so that's where you know this got out of sort of the faith. Um, dimension and into the political dimension where, uh, you know, it's broader than just the LDS Church doing this I Was a Stranger campaign, but even our our political leaders have said, hey, we we can give more here in Utah, and we're welcome to help resettle some of these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that did have a big effect, uh, at least in in Utah, but but it seems like uh, Utah, and I should mention, you know, there are other states uh, led by Democratic governors who we're saying they'll take in uh, Syrian refugees, uh, but but a, a you know a large number of states are saying they won't take in uh, Syrian refugees. Uh, do they're saying to security concerns? Yeah, and I guess I'm just one of those who who believes that we can take care of both our security concerns and do the right thing for people who are um, you know leaving uh, very difficult situations, either a threat to their life or very vulnerable populations, and, and reunify them with either their family or in, with uh, a life that can be better for them. And Ellie Gochner, you, you say you believe we're Utah's more outward-facing, I guess in part because of the LDS Church's missionary program, a lot of return missionaries, is that one factor? Yeah, I think that's one of them. I also, but it also stretches into the economy. I mean, we have uh, we have a very significant uh, export economy here in Utah, and that's maybe not well known. But as a percent of our uh, GDP, we export as much as the state of California does as a percent of their GDP, and so we export, you know, computers and transportation equipment, a lot of uh, silver, gold. Our mining industry faces outward, and so we have we have people here who do business all over the world. I want to turn back to Andrea Radke Moss, uh, BYU uh, Idaho. Uh, uh, you're quoted in the Desert News. Um, as I guess you've done some some research on 
the, the Mormon exodus and, and, and Mormon experience, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in uh, Quincy. And you say that uh, when anti-Muslim, anti-refugee rhetoric was building up last year, a few of us on campus were posting about Quincy. Tell me about that. So in 1839, uh, Mormons were being exiled from the state of Missouri. Um, this is maybe somewhat familiar to most of your listeners. Um, and so between five and 7,000 people were fleeing from the counties where Mormons had particularly settled in Missouri, partly because of the extermination order, the violence, um, church leaders were in prison. Um, and so they crossed the Mississippi River and arrived in the town of Quincy, Illinois. Um, and if for those of your listeners who might not be familiar with this, this is a town that's south of the Nauvoo era, area, but north of Hannibal, Missouri, kind of, uh, kind of two-thirds, one-thirds distance there. Um, and Quincy, which was a small town, about 1,500 people, basically just welcomed this entire group of people that numbered around 5,000. So if you can imagine the, the ratio, the equivalent ratio would be um, kind of a one to five. And that's significant. They took people into their homes. They allowed people to um, share their domiciles. They allowed people to share food. They gave medical assistance. They gave um, uh, places of burial for people who were burying their dead. They shared, you know, opened up the various cemeteries in Quincy. Um, And there was always this sense of, we know this is kind of temporary, but as long as you need to be here, you're welcome. Um, And many Quincyans actually publicly defended the Mormons as they were coming into the city. There was numerous um, newspaper editorials that said, you know, how how dare the rest of you treat these people the way that you have and, and we're better than, I mean, a similar, very similar kinds of rhetoric, very, very similar types of conversations were happening in 1839. And maybe this is a point that's familiar in kind of the group collective memory of, of LDS members, but it's something that's referred to a lot. Everybody knows that the Mormons were kicked out of Missouri. Uh, maybe people don't know specifically the case of Quincy, Illinois, prior to the Mormons moving to Nauvoo, but it's 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 there. It's it's an important and kind of market point. And I think that having that uh, memory, that cohesive memory in our group past, allows Mormons to draw on it. Um, and it's not something that's. I mean, we are refugees. Our people were refugees, and that's that's a very important part of our history. And I think people have drawn upon that for part of this. Uh, it seemed, Let me turn to next to uh, Natalie Gochner on this. Uh, it seems like there is a lot of uh, energy been generated in this. In fact, we uh, we reached out to the Utah Refugee Center and, and uh, Cache Valley uh, Refugee uh, Organizations, um, and, and they were too busy to come on with us today, which is, I guess that's a nice problem to have. That's, <laughs> that's good, you know. Yeah. Um, I wonder what you're hearing people around you that are wanting to get involved, who maybe haven't been involved in this issue? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, conversations that have started, and I think everyone, uh, and I, I want to just really make the point that th- this was a, you know, a, a, a call to people of the LDS faith, but but even more broadly in our state, and it would, I think we would be in air to not reference the incredible work of Catholic Community Services in Utah. They're one of two resettlement agencies here. They're the people that are meeting refugees at the airport, arranging for their housing, um, conducting an orientation, and and so I, I I I think it's so important to talk about the LDS component, and and I'm LDS, and it's it certainly speaks to me, but. It's much larger than that in our state, and I think that what happened with this focus from uh, the general conference for the LDS people is it's just uh, turned up the volume of what was already a very significant uh, refugee resettlement um, movement in our state. And so now people are thinking, what can I do? And whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's other resources, I think we're trying to figure out in this state how do we help. Andrea yeah. Radke Moss, what, what's what's been the mood there in in Rexburg? What's uh, what are you hearing? Uh, very similar to what she described. As, um, back in the fall, um, many people were saying, "What can we do? What can we do?" and uh, not knowing exactly how to get aid on the ground to particularly Eastern Europe, where so many of these refugees um, they seem to be ending up. Um, 
there was a lot of outreach. Um, my organization was trying to reach out to different groups that we knew would have um, a specific focus. Um, you know, you have the the call for specific items. We're hearing from the um, College of Southern Idaho in Twin Falls that they have a great need for bicycles and kitchen items. And so you're hearing calls for um, particularly refugees that are coming here, the need to help them get to a job or the need to help them settle in a home because they have no kitchen items. Um, we met up, we, we reached out with an organization in California that they are in need of baby carriers because the, so many of these people are just going with what they have. And so women need to carry their babies either on their back or their front while they have their arms free. There's, and, and people just overwhelmingly have I've had phone calls. I've, I've received emails. How can I help? What do you need? Um, I think that the concern for many people, and this goes back to the political thing, is whether or not refugee families would actually be resettled in the United States because of this concern, especially in the wake of what had happened in Paris and Belgium. But maybe some of that that kind of political fear, this kind of security fear, Maybe that's dissipating now with this call of, you know, these are families that are literally fleeing for their lives. They're not, they're not terrorists. These are, these are people with small children. These are families and husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. And, and so there's been an overwhelming reaching out. I think that particularly in our community um, that's very family-focused up here in, in southern Idaho, um, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of members of the church and big families, et cetera, I think that there's a, spe- a specific sympathy in seeing children, as is often portrayed, children in these rafts and children on the on the shores and and children crying and children in refugee camps, and that that strikes at people's hearts a little bit. And so we've the response up here has been overwhelming, overwhelmingly positive and helpful. And I have personally not received any pushback from somebody saying. How dare you? This is a security concern. We don't want those Muslims here, etc. Maybe people are saying that in other circles, but they're not saying that to me or members of my group personally. Uh, Natalie Gochner, I wondered, uh, following up on on something that uh, Professor Reggie Moss said, uh, do you see a potential political shift uh, here? Well. You know, it is such a chaotic political year, <laughs> yeah. and I I would be very careful, you know, before I tried to characterize or, uh, you know, call this um, a shift, only because the whole ground is moving, you know, beneath our feet. Um, I do think there was a, you know, an, an LDS leader who, who said, uh, about the I was a stranger effort. Uh, this is not a program. It is who we are. And I think that that captures uh, the sentiment of many in Utah, many in our country, and many of, of many faiths that, you know, we are, are a people, a blessed people in the United States of America who can help people who have been persecuted. And I, I think that's been a part of our history for a long time. I'd love Andrea to comment on that, you know, if that's true. But uh, I, don't, I don't know that I see this as a political shift as much as I see it as just touching, you know, deep into our hearts of the kind of people we are. And, you know, we think of Syrian families, but I'm in a university setting, and at the University of Utah we have all sorts of uh, people from all over the world who attend our university. And I'm familiar, for instance, with a family from El Salvador who are here under a refugee status. And they have a country that's just been falling apart, and they've come here for a better life, and, and I think they're finding it. And so this is something that stretches even beyond the current civil wars and problems happening in the Middle East. It's It's something that is uh, part of the a human family and something that we've been doing for a long time. Yeah, Andrea Radke Moss, I, I think that is a, a good point. We, we're very fortunate here in the U.S. I, some countries, I think maybe you can, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, you know, the one one coup or one war and, and, and you're a refugee too. Uh, maybe we're a little bit more removed here in the, the U.S., but uh, still uh, hearts go out. 
Yes, and and I think that um, the way that some countries have felt the primary burden of some of the refugee crisis throughout the world, whether we're talking Eastern Europe or certain areas of South America, um, and the United States perhaps hasn't felt as much of the pressure. I, maybe it's not being close to some of the more the the more intense areas, and yet we do have refugee situations on our borders when you look at the children of um, Central American immigrants that were trying to come into the United States and it turned into a debate about immigrants versus uh, legal immigrants versus illegal immigrants and instead of I, I don't know I think a situation like that should have been seen more as these are refugees um, and so perhaps sometimes we aren't hitting it perfectly we aren't we aren't doing it perfectly we can do much better and it's and and as has been mentioned in the talk, both in general conference um, as well as um, some of these other settings, is the refugee crisis is about what's happening with the Syrians. But as Natalie mentioned, it's also about what's happening on our on our own on our own hemisphere. And and so hopefully this is people are not just seeing Syrians, but they're also seeing all refugees, seeing everybody that is that is in need and. And the United States is a wealthy and generous country. Um, you look at what our neighbor Canada has done in terms of welcoming refugees, and then you look at what we are starting to do, but we haven't done as much. There's much more that we can do, um, in my opinion. Yeah. So, Tom, I, I want to also just mention, I don't know exactly how it relates to the the conversation we're having, but I, I was in uh, the Istanbul airport about three weeks ago in the international terminal. It was just a work assignment I had to do something in Eastern Europe. But it, it, when I heard Andrea describing, you know, our hemisphere and, and Syria and the different kind of um, pressures felt, it's a really big world. And when you're mm-hmm. in the international terminal of the Istanbul, Turkey airport, um, it's, it feels very different from an international terminal in the United States. And and it, it, it is very fair to say that what Western Europe is feeling right now is completely different from what we're feeling. And I think that's why we have to step up even more, because the, the yeah. needs are so acute there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yes, the, I'd, I would agree, yeah. Mm. Yeah, the need just keeps just just keeps coming, doesn't it? Just keeps growing. Um, finally, with each of you, I, I wonder what you would suggest uh, someone wants to help. I'll start with uh, Andrea Radke Moss. What would you suggest? Where where to go? Websites? Uh, how how to help? Well, I particularly because we're in Idaho, we haven't had a lot of kind of formalized um, organization yet. We just have, for instance, our little organization here in Rexburg and. A small little Facebook group, but there are um, there's a, a the Twin Falls area has um, this refugee assistance. Um, Boise, I know, has been actually receiving um, many of these cities. I, I'm going to make a little kind of um, side note. Many towns in America are actually receiving Syrian refugees in a form of resettlement, and this is happening in numerous communities. I've been hearing about it through word of mouth. But I think publicity-wise, it's been kind of kept quiet. It hasn't been publicized, perhaps because people do fear this political backlash or because of security concerns, but it is happening. And so it might have to be in your own community, especially if you're from a medium to larger size community like a Salt Lake or a Boise or Denver or Seattle, that you reach out and find, are there actually families that are coming here? And I think a great need would be for the things that they need once they come to the United States. It's much more difficult to find organizations that are getting aid and assistance directly to Eastern Europe. Um, That was a little bit of a challenge for us. Um, And now that the church is kind of more on board with this, perhaps people can, if you are LDS, look at donating to the humanitarian uh, fund, but specifically targeting it to refugee assistance. And the church is probably going to have, I'm not sure exactly what they have on the ground, but there's there are things that are happening out there. Go on Facebook, go on social media, word of mouth, ask people, do you know what they need? For instance, I just found out yesterday that in Twin Falls, they're in desperate need of bicycles. 
you know, you wouldn't know that if you didn't do a little bit of research, do some looking around, do some searching, ask people, and you'll find out what the specific needs are. We don't, we want, we kind of want to avoid people just doing their spring cleaning and collecting all of their junk crap that they were going to get rid of anyway and just go dumping it at one of these refugee centers for them to sort through baby, I mean, yes, they need clothing, but don't just dump all of your your garbage on these things as though you were taking it to some other um, kind of donation center. You want to be targeted. You want to be focused. Find out what their needs are. Great. Yeah, some great ideas. Natalie Gochner, same question. What, how, how to help? What suggestions? Well, uh, I think the first thing is uh, to recognize that this, this is our problem. It's not just someone else's problem. It's our problem. And it's our problem because there's economic and political instability throughout the world, and that's not good for us. And also, we're you know brothers and sisters in the human family, and so th- we have to recognize that that refugees are our problem, and we need to help. And re- whatever your faith tradition is, uh, engage in some sort of personal ministry in terms of defining how you can step up and do service, lend service, give, volunteer. And I can't help but just also referencing that it is an election year, and there are there's a major discussion occurring in our country about the future of our country. And so, as part of your personal ministry, consider uh, candidates that can help with this problem to bring more peace and prosperity to the world. We uh, will end this segment uh, right there. Uh, Natalie Gochner is Associate Dean in the David Eccles School of Business at the University of Utah and Chief Economist for the Salt Lake Chamber. Thank you so much. A pleasure. And Andrea Rodke-Mas is a professor of history at Brigham Young University, Idaho. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, after a break, we're going to be t- speaking with uh, Randy Williams, who is a former volunteer and now board member of Cash Refugee and Immigrant Connection. Uh, we'll be talking with her later on. Uh, John Cox, spokesman for Governor Gary Herbert, as we continue with uh, this discussion. Stay tuned. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Jesse Walker Photography in Northern Utah. Available for weddings, portraits, and commercial photography. Details available at jessewalker.photo. Did you know that people in healthy relationships have certain qualities in common? They manage their time. They are good listeners, and they put away their phones during a conversation. They show empathy for their partners. They're responsible with money, and they deal well with conflict. They know how to handle stress effectively and work with their partner as a team. These skills can make or break relationships. If you do not feel you have the tools to be successful in a relationship, you can learn. You can take a relationships class or go to a professional like a marriage and family therapist or a family finance counselor. This segment of Did You Know That? has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We are updating uh, an issue we uh, treated in December. Uh, We talked about specifically Syrian refugees and whether or not they should be resettled in Utah at that time. And I think it's still the case. uh, Governor Herbert was the only one of uh, 27 Republican governors who said that Utah would do that. We'll be talking later in the program with John Cox, Communication Director for Governor Herbert. Right now we bring on Randy Williams, former volunteer and now board member of Cash Refugee and Immigrant Connection. Randy, welcome back to the program. Randy, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. We've got you now. Uh, So you, uh, uh, tell me your day job. Again, you work... uh, in uh, Special Collections. That's right. I'm the folklore curator here in Utah State University's Special Collections and Archives and do the oral history for the library. And uh, so one of the uh, other things you do is uh, working with uh, with refugees and, and, and immigrants. Tell me about that work briefly. Oh, Tom, it's been a great opportunity. Um, this last May, with my colleague Lisa Gabbard and two colleagues from the Library of Congress, we held a Um, Library Congress Field School here at Utah State University, and we focused on the refugee community um, in Cache Valley and had some amazing opportunities with 
um, about 14 individuals from three different refugee communities, the Eritrean and the Burmese Muslim and the Korean, also from Burma, um, citizens and um, neighbors, interviewing and visiting with them. And, and we have that up, um, both a, a digital exhibit and a digital collection here at Utah State University's um, library, which introduces people to the neighbors in Cache Valley. Tell me a bit about the, uh, I guess there's probably some common elements to the refugee and immigrant uh, experience. Uh, we, For example, we, uh, in December, in our program, we talked with a, a refugee. She kind of freshly left Syria. Her name was Catherine. We tried to reconnect with her for this program today. We're unable to do so. We'll keep trying. But it's um, it's got to be such a intense, I'm, I'm trying to find the right words, a disruptive experience. Yes, I think you're right. Intense would probably be a great word and very disruptive. Um, imagine living, you know, in, in a country and because of war or because of your religion or something that really um, defines you, but outside of your control, you're forced to flee for your own family's safety and find yourself most often in a refugee camp or resettlement camp in another country and um, and then... Some folks have the opportunity through much vetting, I have to say that, quite a bit of vetting, um, find themselves in other countries to be resettled. And the United States is a resettlement country, and Salt Lake City is a resettlement city. And um, folks find themselves in a new environment. And so if you have lived your whole life in a jungle environment and find yourself in Salt Lake City in January, that might be confusing and, and scary and cold, and having neighbors reach out and help, um, and that's where the Cash Refugee and Immigrant Connection comes in. That is a group of our, um, folks in the Valley, it um, began in January of 2012, who reach out to our um, refugee community members to help them with a variety of needs, but, you know, helping folks deal with a new culture and the competency that we all take for granted. But if we were dropped into a new environment, say, in um, a Thai refugee camp, we would need our neighbors there to help us understand how to get food, um, how things work. And that's sort of what the CAF Refugee and Immigrant Connection does um, here in Cache Valley, helping folks. I want to follow up. You, uh, you say you are not worried about security. The vetting process uh, is sufficient in your, your mind. Well, I'm not an expert, but I do have read quite a bit because I have, as I said, been involved with um, our refugee neighbors for quite some time, working with Nelda Ald and Lorian Belton and Jess Lucero and others in our community. And, you know, we aren't concerned because we know that it is a very um, belabored process for people to actually be resettled. And so... Um, I would hate to be the expert talking since that's not my area of expertise, but I do feel comfortable with the people who make their way here. It's not something that it takes years, Tom. It's it's mm-hmm. very arduous. Um, and um, so I think we should recognize that there are um, officials in our government who we could put our faith in that that's their job and they're doing it very well. If you just joined us, we're talking about the, the refugee crisis around the world, specifically with regard to Utah. And uh, we are t- we're, what precipitated the discussion uh, now is the uh, initiative announced recently by the LDS Church, I was a stranger.lds.org, I was a stranger initiative. A lot of energy seems to have uh, come in the, in, in the wake of that initiative. Uh, I wonder, Randy Williams, if, if you're feeling that as well, what are you, what are you hearing? Yes, it's so exciting and heartwarming. Um, that initiative, I Was a Stranger, is, um, is beautiful. And um, since the last week or so, we have had 78 individuals contacting CRIC, the Cash Refugee and Immigrant Connection, wanting to do volunteer. And we are going to be actually holding a volunteer training and a wake, uh, a wake from today at 6 p.m., and people are encouraged to go online to the um, Cash Refugee dot org and sign up we have a kind of a very quick process where you you know tell us some information about yourself and and when you would might be available to volunteer for our walk-in hours which are held four times a week um, but 78 people have um, you know just in the last week have requested to become involved as well 12 different organizations from the LDS Relief Society LDS Young Men and LDS 
um, young women organizations who would like a representative from the refugee community or someone from CRIP to come to one of their meetings and talk about the refugee neighbors in their area. Um, so that is really heartwarming and exciting. Uh, so uh, tell me again the, the website and the date for the training. It is um, cashrefugee.org is the um, Cash Refugee and Immigrant Connection, or CRIC. We go by CRIC. Um, folks can go there, and at the very front, it just talks about volunteering, and it gives a great history about CRIC and about refugees. But also, we have a Facebook page. So if you're interested, anyone, like us on Facebook, and it talks about the volunteer training, which, again, it will be next Tuesday, April 12th at 6 p.m. It takes about an hour and a half, two hours. I have recently gone through that. Very um, informative and helpful to, you know, get trained. And then individuals have the opportunity to, you know, help with walk-in hours. There's other opportunities as well. We have a community garden that folks can help with. And, of course, we, you know, welcome um, cash donations to help with the programming. Um, but there, there are lots of ways people can get involved. I want to plug another training. Um that's the state Utah Refugee Services Office. They'll host a volunteer fair on April 16th, Saturday, April 16th, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Utah Refugee Education Training Center. That's on the Salt Lake Community College's Meadowbrook campus. Uh, so those those are a couple of, and then, of course, volunteer training for CRIC, uh, April 12th at 6 p.m. CashRefugee.org is the place to go there. I want to plug uh, Catholic Community Services as well. They do some great work on this. They're accepting cash donations along with many other ways that you can volunteer. Uh, CCSUtah.org is the place to go. Uh, yes, yeah, a great organization. And uh, the LDS Churches Initiative, I was a stranger. Uh, dot, dot org. Exactly, and that's a great organization. There's so many people who want to do um, great things. But one thing I would say, Tom, is, you know, we all, most of us, have friends. We are friends. And that's really what it basically boils down to, is not making people strangers, making them our neighbors and friends. Um, you know, visiting with people in your neighborhood, finding out where they're from, learning a word or two in their language. Um, you know, that is the most welcoming thing any of us can do. Well, very good. Thank you. Randy Williams, uh, who is a former volunteer, now board member of the Cash Refugee and Immigrant uh, Connection, or CRIC, in uh, Cash Valley, has, has joined us. Thank you. Thank you, Tom, so much. And we're going to take a, short, a brief break. When we come back, we'll uh, be speaking with John Cox, Communications Director for Governor Gary Herbert. After 33 states, it's now Wisconsin's turn to decide. Democrat Bernie Sanders is hoping to keep his winning streak alive. Republican Donald Trump is far ahead in the hunt for delegates, but has high negatives in this key swing state. I'm Scott Detrow. Join me and the NPR politics team for live coverage of the Wisconsin primary, Tuesday, April 5th, from NPR News. Tuesday evening at 7 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU College of Humanities and Social Sciences Tanner Talk, presenting Dr. Fareed Zakaria, columnist and host of CNN's Fareed Zakaria's GPS, Tuesday, April 5th at 4 p.m. in the Kane Performance Hall. Information at usu.edu slash Fareed Zakaria. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're talking about uh, the refugee crisis around the world, specifically how it applies to Utah. And we're uh, revisiting this issue. We talked about this in uh, December, visiting this in the wake of uh, a new initiative from the LDS Church. You can find out more about that as iwasastranger.lds.org. Seems to be a lot of energy in the wake of this. Uh, many people uh, seeking how to get involved. And uh, thought we'd uh, check back in with uh, John Cox, Communications Director for Governor Herbert. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Tom. Governor Herbert, I believe, remains the only Republican governor who's uh, said that, you, uh, that his state will accept Syrian refugees. Is that the case? Uh, that is the case, yeah. Uh, the governor still, um, is still in favor of uh, resettlement of uh, Syrian refugees in, in Utah? Uh, he is, yeah. And, and you know, as, as this debate is, has moved on, uh, it's interesting how it's not just focused on, on Syrian refugees, but also uh, Muslims in general. And uh, the governor is is disappointed by the political discourse and, and honestly appalled by, by some of the suggestions out there that 
uh, all Muslims should be pre- uh, prevented from entering the country, uh, and, and feels like it's just a, a blatant disregard of our First Amendment rights. Uh, and I think in Utah, we're a little more sensitive to that than other other places. But uh, yes, the governor maintains that position. Mm. Uh, and the governor was not a supporter of uh, Donald Trump. Mr. Trump, when he came, I think uh, the governor finally, um, I think through some emotional hand wringing, if you could read his comments in the papers, uh, came to uh, Ted Cruz as a way to stop Donald Trump. But Ted Cruz has made some somewhat inflammatory comments on Muslims. Correct, and, and that's unfortunate as well. But uh, re- really, the governor's support there was an attempt to prevent Donald Trump from, from moving forward, and, and he was happy to see that, that in Utah, not a single delegate uh, went to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the refugee uh, situation in general, uh, let, me, let me just uh, follow up with the Syrian uh, side of this. Uh, the governor did, in his initial comments, said he... He was ordering, I think it was the Department of Public Safety, to review security um, issues. Is, is, I don't know if that report has come back. Is the governor satisfied on the security, security side of this? Yeah, so, so a review has taken place. And uh, in addition to that, the governor, as part of his budget, called for uh, to, two additional agents with the Department of Public Safety uh, to work in almost kind of like a school resource officer type of role where they would uh, be part of the refugee community, get to know these folks, help them uh, in the transition process, help them understand their rights uh, as, as members of our society to make sure if they feel threatened in some way, uh, they have someone they could turn to uh, that, that could help them out, uh, and as well to help out you know, in the event that, that poten- uh, potentially somebody was being targeted for radicalization, that, uh, that they could be there and, and, and be sort of a first responder there as well. Hmm. What is the governor's view of this uh, latest push from the uh, from the LDS Church? Uh, the governor is is obviously very very uh, encouraged by this particular initiative and, and feels like it's very appropriate. Uh, again, given given his position on this issue, and uh, you know, in, in Utah. Uh, When when somebody talks about the First Amendment, I I think different people focus on different things. Uh, For some, you know, maybe it's freedom of speech. For others, it's freedom of of the press. But here in Utah, I think for most of us, uh, we we immediately think about freedom of religion. Uh, You know, this this idea that that we have the right to worship uh, in in whatever way we, we so choose. That's really part of the very foundation of our people and our state. And uh, it, it's part of the reason why our state was settled from the very beginning. Uh, we, it's not been that long ago when, when Mormons themselves were targeted uh, and, and forcibly exiled from different places, including with an extermination order uh, from Missouri. And so, uh, you know, we're a little extra sensitive uh, to being targets for religious discrimination and uh, seeing uh, our state's predominant faith and others as well. You know, the, the Catholic Church has been very, very supportive of, of refugee programs. Uh, seeing that is, is very encouraging to the governor and, and having, uh, you know, regular Utahns help out with these people in this resettlement process is uh, something that, that he's very excited about. We uh, we asked uh, some of uh, official workers at, uh, say, the Utah Refugee Services Office, an office in, uh, that works with uh, refugees in the Cache Valley. They were too busy to come on the program today, which I guess is a good a good, <laughs> a a good problem. Uh, would, uh, if the need were there, would the governor allocate uh, additional resources to these offices? Yeah, and, and, and they do receive resources through our Department of Workforce Services currently. Uh, at present, we have approximately 60,000 refugees in the state of Utah. We receive, you know, over 1,000 uh, new refugees every year, uh, and, and that will continue as we move forward. And uh, the good thing about Utah is the spirit of volunteerism that we have in our state. Uh, just, just a few months ago, uh, it was the 10th year in a, a row that Utah was uh, awarded a recognition for being the, the state with the highest rates of volunteerism in the nation. And uh, you, you start to see it in something like this, where uh, people are willing to pitch in, people are willing to help out. And the nice thing is uh, it, it takes less government resources in that case, and the impact is far greater than it otherwise would be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, of course, at a state level, the governor doesn't have a control over the, the international issues, but uh, uh, I think a lot of people are wondering how this problem gets gets solved. I don't know if the governor has any thoughts on that. The, the broader the, the, problem the broader, of, the broader of problem. refugee resettlement mm-hmm. or terrorism there? Uh, in, r- in the r- yeah, the, the problem, the, the, the reason why people are, are forced out of their homes. Well, and I, I think you've, you've hit on an important point there, Tom, and that is that uh, the, these refugees are not, uh, 
the source of terrorism, they're a symptom of it. Uh, the fact that terrorism exists in their homeland is, is why these people are being forced to flee. And uh, ultimately, the, the best long-term solution is, is to fix what's going on there in their homelands. And, and that's not a simple fix. It's not something that, uh, that the governor is involved with on a day-to-day basis. He's focused on, on the things here in Utah. But certainly our congressional delegation, uh, folks out in D.C. are, are trying to help in, in that regard. And, and that, that's not an easy fix. And, and again, the governor... He's got a lot of things on his plate, and, and uh, fixing foreign policy uh, issues is, is certainly not one of those, those yeah. concerns. That's not his brief, uh, as they say. Um, it's not. I mean, as it impacts yeah. Utah, certainly, but yeah. but something of, of that nature, you know, that's that's why we've got our congressional delegation. Right. Well, finally, uh, where, where to go? People, it seems like a lot of people are wondering where to go to help. What, uh, what are the, the central state website for refugees, or what... Uh, where do you go yeah, for so, so certainly, uh, again, our Department of Workforce Services is is the the folks that really deal with this on a day to day basis. We also have quite a few nonprofit groups that uh, that help out as well. And and your previous uh, caller had mentioned, you know, Catholic uh, services and and other groups that are helping out in this regard. But uh, for the state of Utah. Uh, again, it's it's really the Department of Workforce Services. Uh, they're the ones that, that handle these refugee issues. And uh, if you just go to jobs.utah.gov slash refugee, uh, that's their homepage. And if you go to that website, again, jobs.utah.gov slash refugee, uh, right there on, on the homepage is a, a big section on how to donate or volunteer to help refugees here in the state. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you uh, joining us. John Cox, Communications Director for Governor Herbert. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Tom. And uh, let me just give out a, a couple of those uh, websites again. As you just heard, uh, jobs.utah.gov slash refugee. That's uh, programs with the state of Utah. Um, I was a stranger.lds.org. There are a lot of uh, Organizations you can link to from that initiative from the LDS Church. I was a stranger.lds.org. We'll have these up on our website as well. Uh, for the Cash uh, Refugee Organization, uh, cashrefugee.org is the place to go. By the way, they're having a volunteer training on Tuesday, April 12th at 6 p.m. Uh, the Utah uh, State Utah Refugee Services Office will host a volunteer fair. That is on Saturday, April 16th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Utah Refugee Education and Training Center, which is located on the Salt Lake Community College's Meadowbrook campus. Uh, Catholic Community Services is ccsutah.org. That's ccsutah.org. There's also a Utah Office of International Rescue Committee. Google International Rescue Committee and Utah. Many other uh, sites to go to. Uh, email me at upraxcess at gmail.com uh, to plug your organization, and we'll get that on our website as well. And uh, we appreciate everyone who has joined us for the program uh, today. Tomorrow, we're going to uh, have a political discussion. We have a series of ongoing discussions with uh, political scientists, uh, uh, thinkers, and writers with this most interesting of uh, political seasons. And tomorrow, we'll uh, air a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with Matt Lewis, who is a a young conservative, uh, quite influential. And uh, he was on the USU campus to to give a talk titled, Can the Republican Party Return to Its Intellectual Roots? He has a provocative book out called Too Dumb to Fail. The subtitle is How the GOP Betrayed the Republican uh, Reagan Revolution to Win Elections and How It Can Reclaim Its Conservative Roots. You'll hear from Mr. Lewis tomorrow that he is not a fan of Mr. Trump, but uh, interesting how he feels uh, his best-case scenario for the election going forward. Matt Lewis is my guest uh, tomorrow, and uh, we'll also introduce a new uh, commentator, Lael Gilbert, and uh, she'll be uh, providing commentaries for us about food. All of that uh, coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us then. Thanks for listening today. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. I'm Megan Van Frank. This week, learn about a mass grave found in Nephi, Utah, and how archaeology can provide a voice for the dead. First this. I'm Cynthia Buckingham, Director of Utah Humanities. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by Utah Humanities with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. 
We are proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories and hope you will tune in each week for the Beehive Archive. In 2006, while digging the foundation for a new house in the central Utah town of Nephi, construction workers uncovered human bones. In fact, seven Native American skeletons were discovered piled in what could only be described as a mass grave. Who were these people? State archaeologists were called in to map the site and carefully excavate the remains. Gunshot wounds were found in the skulls of several of the skeletons, and one, the skeleton of a young boy, showed a gunshot wound through his upper leg. Analysis of the remains revealed they were all males, ranging in age from 10 to 35, and all in good health until their deaths. So what happened to them? Historical records from 1853 shed some light on this mystery. That summer, the so-called Walker War erupted, and hostilities between Mormons and Utah's Native people intensified into a series of tit-for-tat killings. Ute leader Wakara directed raids on Mormon settlements in retaliation for their encroachment on Native lands, and the settlers responded in kind. On October 2, 1853, a group of Utes, or possibly Goshutes, came to the fort at Nephi. The official record states that the town leaders wanted to question them about the recent deaths of four men from Manti, but that the Indians showed fight and that a skirmish ensued. By the end of the day, seven Native Americans were dead and their bodies thrown into a mass grave. But forensic evidence reveals that these men did not die in any skirmish, but were instead coldly executed. The trajectories of the gunshot wounds indicate that they were shot in the back of the head, possibly while on their knees. Personal diary entries written by two women who witnessed the event confirm the forensic analysis. This incident of the Walker War and the grave's discovery 153 years later shows how the historic record can be contradicted by scientific evidence and how archaeology can allow victims to tell their story. Research and writing for this episode of the Beehive Archive were done by Ronald Rood. Sources and past episodes may be found at utahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of the Utah Humanities Council, I'm Megan Van Frank. Governor Gary Herbert and the Utah Division of Arts and Museums recently announced the recipients of the 2016 Governor's Leadership in the Arts Awards. Dr. Craig Jessup, Dean of the Kane College of the Arts at Utah State University, is one of the recipients to receive the honor. Dr. Jessup is recognized for his individual leadership. Governor Herbert says this year's recipients play an important role in highlighting the cultural magnificence of Utah, providing valuable educational opportunities, and boosting the economy of the state. Utah Public Radio congratulates Dean Craig Jessup and fellow recipients, teacher, artist, and researcher James Reese, Utah Arts Festival, and the Zion Canyon Arts and Humanities Council. Kudos from Utah Public Radio. I'm Robin Young. Dozens died, including what we know right now is two Americans, and uh, it has elevated again terrorism. That's security advisor and mom, Juliet Kayam, on her podcast. In her new book, she says Americans should prepare for terror the way they raise their kids. Understand there is some risk and get ready for it. Next time, here and now. Join us this morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.